after my first year, I thought I was getting released. After my second year, I was like, I'm for sure getting released. Like it's, it's done. So that's when I've kind of really contemplated, you know, is can art be a, be a full-time thing? Hey, what's up? This is Culture Hustlers, where we talk with artists, designers, performers, writers, makers, and other entrepreneurs on how they hustle out a living by selling culture. I'm your host, Lucas Spivey. I'm a BFA MBA hybrid drifting around the U.S. inside a mobile incubator. What's that, Lucas? It is a rolling broadcast studio inside a vintage camper trailer. How do you tow it, Lucas? I tow it with a true school 70s disco ambulance, because why not? It doubles as public art, and today for this app, we are installed as public art here at Art Prize in Grand Rapids, Michigan, thanks to a grant from the Fry Foundation. I want to introduce today's co-host and producer, Jess Thayer. Hi, I'm Jess Thayer, and I'm an audio and visual artist based in Boston. I flew out to Michigan because Art Prize is an exciting event with so many concentrated artists in one location, and Grand Rapids is a place and culture I knew nothing about. Grand Rapids is a friendly, welcoming city where I met some solid, genuine friends in just the 11 days I was here. I saw Blake McFarland's work in my first day here, a towering sculpture of a man made entirely out of recycled tires rising out of a mound of refuse. Blake is a retired baseball player who's turned into a full hustle artist, and I was intrigued by his ability to adapt with the world. I knew I had to sit down and chat with him. Blake has empathy for recycling materials and changing something into a more purposeful creation, and he has a surprisingly relaxed attitude towards adversity and willingness to start something new. Every season, Blake never knew whether he'd be cut, injured, or just not make the team for reasons outside his control. But he showed up for practice, and now to his studio regardless, just like he showed up for Art Prize. Hey, my name is Blake McFarland. I'm from San Jose, California. I'm a mixed materials artist who specializes in recycled tires and also a retired professional baseball player. I uh, grew up in San Jose, California, born and raised uh, basically for the last 30 years right in my hometown. We're in a place, you know, 30 minutes from the ocean. Spent a lot of time in the ocean, I'm just playing with my friends down the street. Most of my childhood, I guess, being outdoors. A lot of skateboards, basketball hoops, any kind of sport. We had a little swing in a forest down the road, so just kind of getting dirty and, and being outside. Did you guys have, uh, like, the local crew of kids that would just, like, roll out every, like, Saturday? And so, only two, actually. So, we lived in a neighborhood, not very many kids, but the next block over, there was two of my best friends. So, every single day after school, it was just us three, and we just got into all sorts of things. How many different activities can you do with only three people? <laughs> Honestly, most of the time, for sports, it was, you know, kind of two versus one, or we'd play... <laughs> All, oh, all these other <laughs> just a little back i mean I'm, I'm a bigger tall guy i've always been bigger and my both my so both my best two, friends was were it the small, two of you so, against yeah. two of them against a lot you? of basketball yeah so it was, it was fun <laughs> it was actually really it was good competition which was fun what did you do sports then with school high school i played football baseball and basketball just kind of fell in love with actually baseball and then kind of continued from there what was it about baseball I think baseball for me was just something you could play every single day, whereas football, you know, you're practicing six times a week for one game. Um, I liked playing every single day, and basketball was just as fun. I just wasn't as good, so I stuck with baseball. Yeah, because uh, football and basketball, you're running constant strategy. 
yeah. all the time, especially football. Whereas baseball, it's there is strategy as well, but not really until the ball's in play. And yeah, it's a, a little, lot of improvisation. Yeah, a little more relaxed, you know, easier on the joints when you're younger. You can play it every day. On position, you can play every day. Yeah. Uh, was there a particular position that you fell in love with? Pitching. Yeah, I pitched for quite a while, just instantly came in love with it and wanted to kind of pursue that as my first passion and hobby. The pitcher controls the tempo of the game. Yeah, absolutely. When the ball in you No other player gets yeah. to do that. The whole game's kind of waiting for the pitcher to throw the ball, so it's kind of eerie being out there by yourself and just everyone eyes on you and like you know, what are you gonna do next? So but what about artistic pursuits when you were younger? Was there were you making stuff? Oh yeah. I always used to doodle. I mean even from elementary school I'd always have a notebook. The teacher was always talking about something, I was always just drawing. Just random things a lot of it waves actually i started just drawing waves just because of my love of the ocean and from there at home i would just make random things i was kind of fortunate enough to grow up in a house where my dad was kind of a do-it-all he had hundreds of tools so i got to experience you know learning how to work all these different tools so i would make bow and arrows and all these different little things that i wanted to do and i just kind of experimented with all these different types of creations from when I was young. Do you have a favorite project when you were a kid? Honestly, bow and arrows. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. So me and my two neighborhood friends, we would make that and <laughs> put foam balls on the end and kind of just shoot, <laughs> shoot each other. I mean, that's nice. when we were really young, but that's literally what we did for fun, just shoot each other with bow and arrows. Do you still have your bow and arrow? No, those things oh. break quick. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going through your mind as you're about to graduate high school? So when I'm about to graduate high school, art still wasn't really in, in the scene anywhere. You know, I, I wasn't doing it that much besides drawing and, and things like that. At that time, my focus was solely on baseball and football at that time. Which uh, requires a lot. Yeah, it's... High I mean, school sports require a lot. Yeah. I mean... I took every single art class in my high school, which was <laughs> a bit, but like the kids who were doing sports, it was, it was way more commitment. Yeah. It was way more time. Yeah. Cause you had to show up like the, the team couldn't play without you or like you get in big trouble if you didn't. And mm -hmm. I mean, so in high school it was, it was three sports. So for me it was, it was year round and there was a practice or a game every single day for the the entire year, every year for four years. Um, I was actually better in football than I was at baseball in high school. I was probably an average baseball player, but football, I was I was 6'5", 240 pounds as a senior in, in football. So I had a lot of schools kind of recruiting me. What I wanted and what I've always wanted at that time was to be a football player and a baseball player. I wanted to play both sports in college. And none of those schools that offered me for football would allow me to play both. So I ended up going to a junior college for a year where I redshirted baseball and I played football. And do you get a scholarship for that? No. So junior college, at least in California, doesn't offer scholarships. But it's and it was my local junior college. So, you know, it was... It just, wasn't crazy expensive. Oh, no, no. You're, okay. It's it's all publicly kind of ran, the, the junior college system in California. So it was very minimal. And then you feed into a four-year school. Yeah. And you get recruited. So in, in junior college sports, there's a lot of recruiters there, too, for sports. So you almost even have a better chance um, getting picked up than in high school. Okay. And do you get picked up? A four-year Division One school in Santa Barbara. So is this UC Santa Barbara? UC Santa Barbara, yeah, the Gauchos. So I actually got better. I stopped playing football. I actually leaned out a little bit, and I think because of that, I became a better baseball player. So I went from throwing, 
you know, 84, 85 miles an hour in high school to throwing 90. It was a big jump, honestly. Like, all the guys are basically the best junior college players now, Division One baseball, San Jose State. We had a good conference, so it was a really good time. And, you know, I kind of progressed into it, and I had a really good first year. I was actually a pitcher of the year for the San Jose State and the WAC conference. This is an experience that, you know, not everyone has, right? Collegiate sports. Those who do have an understanding of it, but everyone listening might not. What is it like to be a college athlete senior year? And you guys are, I mean, how much of your mind is focused on like winning the next game? A lot. I mean, just to take you through a routine day, Division One baseball, you're waking up at 5 a.m. You're going to weights. Weights are mandatory. You have to go 5 a.m. to around 7. Um, you get off, then you have class till 2 or 3. Uh, then you have practice from 3 to 5. And then it's mandatory study hall from about six and nine, and you have three, two to three hours per day. So your entire day That's is mandated by the sports, by the school, by the actual school. Because you're on scholarship, or no, the whole team. Yeah, I mean most schools do that. From what I hear from other players that have played in on different colleges, that's kind of just how it goes. They don't require that of our students. Really? If in case you were wondering. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. First of all, we don't have to lift weights first gotta, thing in the morning. Then you all get to complain to each other too. Ah, not this again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still sore. <laughs> like, yeah, bro, right? I know. <laughs> You're hoping to win some games and get noticed, right? Yeah, you know, as every, I mean, I'd say 98% of all college baseball players, their their goal is to get drafted and play professionally. And that was 100% my goal, um, kind of going in there from the start. I mean, even as a child, that was my goal. I want to be a professional baseball player. That seems like a lot of pressure, but you're also like, kind of trained to not really think about the outcome but just do show up and do your best but are you also like in the back of your mind constantly thinking like I gotta get drafted no not really because it's always been my own goal no one's really pushing this on me you know I have super supportive family parents grandparents no one's pushing me hey you have to do this they they don't care they just want me happy and for me at my most part of my career I've, I've been happy pursuing baseball so like your family um, your friends your community they weren't saying like you have to do this like this is what you were supposed to do like this is no this is who you are <laughs> this is to us no no absolutely not if i didn't even play baseball at all they'd be they'd be completely fine that seems a lot more freeing i, I feel like a lot of people feel a lot of pressure from people around them maybe they're trying to impress people or maybe their parents told them that like if you don't get this is because you didn't try hard enough and yeah, all that shit yeah i mean you even look at like little league now you have just crazy little league dads just yelling at their kids pushing them and i just laugh i sit there so i watched a little league game the other day when my one of my nephews is in and i just laugh i'm like guys this this doesn't matter these kids are here for fun they're not going to win a scholarship they're the not going to go professional going out to pizza hut yeah. afterwards you know they're, they're yelling at the umpire for a bad pitch i'm just cracking up like dude this guy's sweating out here for 10 bucks an hour just relax yeah it's yeah, a yeah. fun game right now no the empire <laughs> the umpires get a lot of flack yeah for sure <laughs> So what happens senior year? So senior year, I had a pretty good year again, and I was expected to get drafted. I had, you know, a ton of letters, ton of contact with major league teams. So, you know, I'm expecting 30 to 40th round, kind of later rounds. The draft happened in June 20th, so baseball was over for San Jose State, and I'm just waiting by the phone. So round day one, it's uh, at that time, I think it was rounds one through three. You know, I'm not expecting to get called. I, I listened to it. Happy for everyone that got drafted early, and uh, that was good. So then day two, 
was rounds, I want to say five through, no, sorry, four, four through 15 or something like that. Again, I wasn't expecting to go there. And then the last day of the, the final rounds, I'm like, all right, this, this is it. I'm waiting by the phone. Uh, I got the draft streaming online, like just by myself listening. And I never get a call. So I go instantly from like, all right, I'm going to make my dream right here to just, it's, it's over. I guess, I guess I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm not playing. So I got very down. It's just crazy how it happens. You know, two minutes after that, maybe five minutes, I get a call. Scout from the Blue Jays says, hey, uh, Randy Kramer here. Um, scout with the Blue Jays, and we want to sign you as a non-drafted free agent. So immediately I'm like, oh, this is great. Uh, let's, yeah, let's do it. Like, what, what do I need to do? <laughs> He's like, oh, sorry, you know, we, we, we don't have any money, but uh, we have a plane ticket. You're out uh, in two days. Bring all your stuff to Florida, and... Uh, you're a professional baseball player now. <laughs> what? So what does it kinda... mean to be an undrafted free agent? So there's a draft. There's 50 rounds in the, in the MLB draft. Um, once that's over, if teams want other players or more players, they can go ahead and sign whoever they want outside of the draft for no money. Okay. Or they could pay, but, I mean, for the most part, you're not really getting money. They have caps? Well, in baseball, they don't have the cap, do they? They do for, for the draft rounds, but not for free agents. Okay. Like you, if you look at foreign free agents, there's no cap. So you can, I mean, that's why, you know, a lot of the Venezuelans, Puerto Ricans, Cubans are getting really big payday. But this is still, to me, a huge thing. I mean, you don't get drafted, but you get invited by the Blue Jays to come train with them. Yeah. I mean, when you were a kid playing baseball with like your neighbors <laughs> and you're like trading baseball cards. Yeah. I mean, did you ever think in your wildest dreams that the Blue Jays would call you up one day? Absolutely not. I mean, when I was young, it, it was always kind of a dream. I mean, I didn't tell you the truth. I'd never even watched a Blue Jays baseball were game. You, are you actually a fan of the Blue Jays? <laughs> no. I mean, that's the thing. You, you don't know who you're going to get signed by or drafted who's, by. Who's so your team? I was the San Francisco Giants. I really liked them. But, you know, Blue Jays in California, they, they, they're never playing over there. I didn't, I didn't know a single player on the Blue Jays. I didn't know anything. But with that being said, I was absolutely pumped to be on the Blue Jays yeah. after after my senior so, year. So, so you said, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll be I'll be there. Uh, got told the very first day we went through a couple little drills. Got told I'd be going to Vancouver with the Vancouver team. So that's our short season low A ball, which is just a, it's level three, two levels from the very bottom, which is rookie ball. So my first season was in Vancouver, um, Canada. So then, you know, two days later, I'm flying from California to Florida, back to Van up to Vancouver, and then spent the whole season in Vancouver, and Vancouver is one of the coolest cities I've ever been to. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. That's a fantastic city. Yeah. It was amazing. Far cry from Florida. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So is it kind of the same thing? You're waking up early? So uh, professional ball, completely different. We have a big change here. Okay. So games are at 7 p.m., uh, and I didn't realize this. For a 7 p.m. game, you're at the field at 11. So a.m. 11 a.m. What? So you minor league eight hours before. Minor league baseball. Here we go. 11 a.m. You get to the field. You have a workout from 11 to one. Uh, from one to whatever. There's a, a lot of time for batting practice. Both teams switch off. So it's it's like an hour and a half for BP. So whatever team will go to BP, hit, do some field work, play catch. 
and then the team switch. Um, and then in that meantime, you have it's called spread. You eat basically. We have a clubhouse manager who gives us all, I guess, brings in, caters food, all that stuff. And then game time at seven. But every day you're there at eleven. Games at seven. You get home around eleven thirty every night. So it's it's a long day. Wow. What do you do when you're not playing? It's every day. That's every it's, day. It's the minor league grind. It's it's every single day. We have uh, one off day a month, and that off day is usually driving twelve to thirteen hours or overnight to the so, next yeah. competition. Yeah, to the next yeah, game. to the next game. So minor league life is a lot about bus life. So Whoa. you're on the road, you know, half the time. The average bus ride is around six to eight hours. Now, when we talked earlier, you said that. In the off season from the minor league, that's when you started playing around with art. Yes. So after that first season, you're like, okay, I just did my first minor league season, and now I do what? (laughs) (laughs) What do I do with myself? I've never had this time. Yeah. So you have six months to kind of figure something out. And what you know, the majority of the baseball guys do is they they teach lessons. I kind of knew, you know, I'm doing baseball six months out of the year. I I need to go away from that and do something new. How I ended up getting into art is there was a painting at my parents' house. It was this koi fish. looked like a little children's painting. So I, one day I go up to my mom, like, Mom, what is, it, what is this painting doing here? This thing sucks. <laughs> um, so I take it down. I go buy a canvas. I, I painted this, this ocean scene, um, and it actually turned out pretty good, and I actually sold it. So from then on, I was kind of like, oh, maybe, maybe this is a thing here. Maybe I could do this. So... I ended up for the next two off seasons selling paintings. Um, and I, I actually did a lot on surfboards as well. I would refinish surfboards, paint on them, like local beach scenes and sell those. So that was my first two off season jobs. Nice. And the off season you're selling your, your paintings. Yeah. Whoa. That's yeah. awesome. Did people approach you to do them or would you make them and then say, yeah, I just made this surfboard or I would make them and then put them on Craigslist actually. So I had most of my sales were literally on Craigslist. And, and people are buying surfboards on Craigslist in that part of the country. All, yeah, yeah, yeah. San Jose is, is 25 minutes away from Santa Cruz, which is kind of surf capital of California. Some of the best waves. So there's surfboards everywhere. Nice. Yeah. So that's the first two off seasons yeah. that you spend doing that. Yeah. And for you at that time, you're how old? I'm 30 now. At that time, I was, what, uh, 23, 24? That that age is interesting because like people like out of college mm-hmm. and they've got like their first thing happening, and a lot of people get like a full time job then, yeah. or they'll struggle to find a full time job yeah. sometimes, and then that's like the first kind of like dose of like not being in school, yeah, and kind of like a little less structure than ever before mm-hmm. in life in a way. Um, are you starting to set? up a life for yourself are you starting to set goals for yourself like what's that moment like for you then you know being a baseball player our goal is still to make the major leagues and that's that's every 100 percent of a minor leaguer's goal is to make to the big leagues um and at that time i was actually pitching very poorly so i uh my first time you know i was just getting hit around sometimes that happens people were just i was missing in the zone wasn't throwing as hard and people were hitting me around so after my first year I thought I was getting released after my second year I was like I'm for sure getting released like it's it's done so that's when I've kind of really contemplated you know is can art be a be a full-time thing was Um, there a particular moment that you started thinking about that 
Or just that second off season thinking about it? Just that second off season, because you don't know, you know, you have to get invited to spring training and they, they'll call you a couple months before and invite you. So it's, it's unknown. You don't know. I thought off my previous year's numbers that I wasn't going to get a call. So I was kind of preparing for that. I actually went to EMT school. I got my emergency medical degree. You were preparing for not I was. A I really was. Yeah. I mean, I had a bad season. I was like, this might be it, guys. So <laughs> I was I was preparing. Yeah. Wow. Do you think that kind of not knowing your future more than like six to 12 months or sometimes like two to three months ahead of time, do you think that changed you as a person? Like, do you think that made you that gave you something absolutely I mean I think it kind of makes you malleable you have to change with what's happening you know living out of a suitcase even on the baseball season is much different than what I'm accustomed to and what normal people are accustomed to I've had my now wife who was my girlfriend at the time you know long distance for for now it's been eight years you know you got to go with the flow it's definitely different but uh you just got to kind of mold yourself into what you're doing at that time you do get the callback, right? I do get the callback. For the next season. Yeah. And, you know, going in, I knew I had to prove myself. I was like, all right, I'm going to get released a week out of here unless something happens. I was so fortunate. My first bullpen in spring training, we had a, a pitching coach come up to me. And he's like, hey, just try this new grip. So I tried a new grip. I went from two seam to four seam. And then I also, he showed me a splitter which is where you spread your fingers as far apart as you can and the ball will dive. That game, we had a game that day, so I did that in the bullpen. I was like, all right, this is okay. Or went in the game and I actually struck out two, I pitched one inning, struck out two batters on the pitches I just learned. So I'm like, oh, wow. this is a little change going on right here. So I was excited about that. And long story short, that short, that's kind of what changed my career is that pitching coach coming up to me and showing this. And my next four seasons were extremely well. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're always kind of trying to teach yourself something new or working on a different pitch. And, and that all, that spring training was just a career changer for me. So over the next four years, what happens? So the following year, um, this was 2015, had another great year. Um, I was in double A at that time. Um, and then in that off season, I actually got placed on the 40 man roster. So it's uh, basically the big league roster for that off season. So then going into spring training, I thought to myself, you know, I, I have a shot at making it this year. You know, this is my year. Three games into spring training, just a little something feels off with the shoulder. I don't think anything of it. I throw an inning. Next day, can't pick up a baseball. And I'm like, something's wrong. <laughs> I, I literally cannot, like, lift my right arm. Um, thought it might be something minor. Went to the trainers, and the next ended up next two years rehabbing. I had shoulder surgery that year. So I went from the high peak of my career being placed on the 40 man to three games later, just rehabbing and uh, shoulder surgery. So kind of high and low pretty quick there. What's the span of time from being placed on the 40 man roster to injuring your shoulder? Two months, two or three months. Wow. I mean, you'd, yeah, yeah. you'd overcome like so many things at this point. When you get injured, are you just thinking, this is just another thing that I have to work through? Exactly. I mean, I, I really did. I, you know, I knew it was a bummer, like, hey, I have a little rotator cuff thing we got to clean up in there. But overall, it was kind of a minor surgery. The rotator cuff, for a lot of pitchers, you know, if it tears, it's a big constructive surgery. Mine was just a cleanup. So I was actually supposed to pitch later that year. So what ended up happening, I had shoulder surgery. I was out till the end of the year, tried to come back, didn't work. So then that whole next off season, which is 2017, 
I rehabbed, went into spring training thinking again, you know, this is, I'm, I'm going to be good this year. This is, this is it. Started pitching, second game, hurts again, and ended up rehabbing that entire year again. What do you do during rehab? Rehab is mentally draining. There's just not, <laughs> you have too much time on your hands. Are you being financially supported by the team at this point? Yeah. yeah. Okay. If you get right. injured, yeah, the team still covers you. At what point did they start carrying you like as a, as a paid athlete? Uh, since you got signed. So I didn't sign for a bonus out of college, but you get monthly income, Okay. which is in the minor leagues, $1,200 a month. And yeah. they take out housing and you have clubhouse dues. So you are lucky to break even as a minor league player. Wow. Yeah. I was curious, like how you're paying bills during that time. Yeah. So it's, I mean, that's, that's the minor league grind right there. It's, you're not getting paid. You're just kind of living off what you're making and making it work. They're making sure you're well fed though. Cause that's in their interest. Yeah. Yeah. You get, <laughs> yeah, you get good food, but that's all good. <laughs> I mean, do you have to have a side hustle while you're in the minor leagues? So there's no time for a side hustle chasing your dream for for nothing i mean a lot of people see it both ways like what are you doing you're wasting your life or you see it as the big leagues are right there and i'm this far away from it and you have a, a platform to get there yeah yeah a clear path to get there if you produce you do well you're going to be there yeah okay you're on injured reserve mm -hmm. correct now what <laughs> my final year which was last year you know rehabbing all last year um, exhausted all my options with the shoulder. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to do art full time. <laughs> so what's the first thing you make when you decide to do art? When I first started doing the recycled materials sculpture, I didn't know anything about art galleries. So I basically made this little bobcat and didn't know what to do. I took some pictures of it and I made flyers and actually just stuck them under art galleries doors, just hoping for a callback because I had no idea what to do. I was fortunate enough for a couple months later, Gallery 85, they called me back, they wanted it. So I was just pumped and uh, we got it in there. So my first gallery art piece. What happened to the piece? Did it sell? Uh, yeah. So at that time, there was a 49er, uh, Vernon Davis. He actually owned the art gallery. He was a tight end for the Niners for many years then. Dude, he's a big deal. Yeah. He actually bought it. He bought the, the Bobcat. So he loved it. Like, Full hustle work of art was bought by Vernon Davis. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> I was I was pumped. I love especially that. my local team. You know, I was watching him quite a ways growing up. Yeah, he's big and inspiration now, for a lot now. of people. Yeah. yeah, still. Yeah. So you do that the first off season. Yeah, and then second off season. What then? Then I do a little more, but it, it became slower. So my first recycled materials off season, I made uh, the little bobcat, a bear, and a baboon. Vernon Davis actually bought two of them and the next year I knew I, I knew I wanted to continue to do that because that seemed something that that people liked um, so the next year I wanted to go big so I did cougar and it took me the entire offseason was it larger scale it was a six and a half feet by Jeez. four feet and at the time I was still kind of experimenting with working with tires so it took me twice as long as now so that took me around four months just to make do so you, the cougar do you put it somewhere do you show it do you exhibit that's it? that's the very hard thing about the art world is i didn't have anywhere to put it so it literally sat in my parents house for <laughs> for two years smelling smelling it up like rubber yeah right so for two <laughs> years it just sat there just scaring neighbors away in the front window <laughs> it kept the stray cats away probably oh absolutely nice so i got a random email saying Hey, this is so-and-so from uh, Zeno Marketing Company. We, we have a client that wants uh, tire sculptures for the NCAA Cotton Bowl. 
And you know, I'm just kind of sitting there like, oh, what's this guy talking about? <laughs> like they want some sculptures. Turns out the company they were working for was, is Goodyear Tires. And I was just instantly like right on it. I'm like, yep, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so that off season, I actually made two mascots for the Goodyear Cotton Bowl, which the, was held in Dallas, Texas. The and that two was teams who would be the playing two teams. And it was actually Western Michigan University, which is a Bronco. So I did a life-size Bronco out of tires. Nice. Um, and they were playing Wisconsin. So I did the Badger. I did the Badger. You did the Badger? I did the Badger. Oh Bucky the Badger is out of tires. Whoa. Wait, is it a Badger or is it Bucky the Badger? Bucky, the, well, Bucky is his name. Bucky the Badger. So the mascot. But Bucky the Badger is a little cartoonish. It's cartoonish. So you did the, the actual, like, Badger mascot? Yeah. yeah. Bucky? Cartoony. So I used white tire because, you know, he's white yeah. and he's white and black. And he even has a little jacket. My grandma sewed that little jacket on him. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. So who wins that Cotton Bowl? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. That's right, they won. Yeah. <laughs> Go Badgers. Yeah. Um, whoa, what a phone call. Yeah. Do you think that they reached out to you because of your history of being an athlete, or do you think it was strictly the Goodyear connection there? Still, I really don't know. Um, I just received an email off my website um, and talking to them, they said they just found my website. I don't know if it was a spinoff of baseball, an article or something, or if they were literally just searching up tire sculptures online and, and found it. So I really don't know. But You know, that's a curious thing because in the art world, origin story is really important. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'll buy this art, but who made it? Yeah. I think that's different with sports. With sports, you're performing, you're... You're not a statistic exactly, yeah. but your statistics kind of determine a great deal of your yeah, value. Yeah, absolutely. That's a pretty interesting difference between the two worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true? so I retired 2018 from baseball. Now I'm full-time recycled material. Mm. It's been great. I mean, I don't, I'm not living out of a bus or a suitcase. <laughs> I'm at home. I, uh, but you still must ha carry all that discipline from all those years having a, a pretty regimented schedule yeah i mean you said that you still get up and go to the gym every morning oh yeah it's it's just a habit you know getting up that probably the college years at 5 a.m is probably broken a, a habit and and i do have a routine so gym and then i'll work on whatever i'm working on at that time and well okay we're we're at the q a portion so i'm gonna turn this over to jess Hi, I'm Jess there. I'm from Massachusetts. I'm an artist and also an athlete. And I grew up with some of those same questions. If somebody was going to tell me, hey, you could never play again, what was I going to do? What's that going <laughs> to look like? And if somebody told you at this point, too, maybe you hurt your back and now you can't do such a physical thing, where do you see yourself going from there? That's a really good question. <laughs> wow. So I've never even thought about this. Um, I guess it depends. Can I can I use my arms or can I use nothing? Say you can't use your arms. I would probably find an outlet in maybe maybe writing or something something mentally stimulating that I can do to kind of try and channel into something that I could do. So much of your work is not really directly comparable to other people's work and your background is so competitive. How do you see that coming through in your work then, if you can't really directly challenge other people's work? <laughs> um, I think I kind of bring that out when, when I'm work actually working on the piece, the minor details, because I'm always thinking someone else is doing it better than me. And in sports, there's so many analysts and critiques and criticism coming from everybody, and you do your best to shut that off. How much do you shut that off when you're in this realm? 
Um, it really is similar. I mean, you have critics, you have even writers write about how you have a terrible game pitching, and it's really the same thing. I mean, there could be people standing in front of your sculpture watching it, saying like, "I don't get that. That looks bad. What is that?" And you really just gotta, you know, shut it off and and not think about that because there's always going to be people that doubt you or that that don't get it. That's going to happen with absolutely everything. But you kind of got to think for everyone that doesn't like it. There's maybe ten people that do like it and you don't hear them. So you kind of just got to zone it out. And it's not always going to work. There's going to be a lot of times where it doesn't work. But I think. If you just are determined to get it somewhere, and don't pick one place, pick 30 places. Maybe you're not going to get it into your top 20. Take 40 or 50. Um, kind of to correlate with that, my wife's in medical school. She's applying to 80 hospitals. She's going to get into one. Put your name out there as much as you can and just be fortunate to get a spot. Is there a difference between selling out and selling your art? Um, so you you did some you gave your art to Goodyear and you were like yes I want to do that right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of artists who would look at that and go that's a commercial like I, they're making money off of me. Do you still feel like it's your art when you put it in that space? Yeah, definitely. So selling out or selling your your art, I think it depends if you take yourself as a full time artist or not. I mean, people that sell their art and basically make whatever they want to make and sell on their own, that's great. And if you want to sell to a commissioned work, I think that's great too. I think it's just making something that you want to make and however it gets sold, great. That that just means you're one step closer to becoming a better artist. Are you going to keep making art if you're not selling it? I wouldn't make art as large of a scale. If I wasn't selling it, I mean, right now this is a full-time job, so I have to put you know food on the table. So I'm going to try and sell as much as I can. If it comes to a point where they don't sell, I'll probably still do it as a hobby and a passion, but I would probably have to get a full-time job. So that would mean I would be doing art less. Uh, if there's something in your life that you know you're passionate about, just go at it 100% and see what you can make of it because really anything is is, is how cliche as it is anything is possible you can really do whatever you put your mind to and and work your ass off at great well thanks for coming in thank you thank you guys wish you could have been in this episode we've made it ridiculously easy uh instagram us at culture hustlers tell us your name your city your business if you have one and get on this podcast if you like this podcast, then I want you to check out this episode from our friend Charles' podcast, Iconography. The name of the episode is Squanto. Good episode to check out. And you can check out more of our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can follow the travels and the live stories of Mobile Incubator on the Instagrams, Facebook, and CultureHustlers.com. Our guest producer today and our sound designer is Jess Thayer. Our creative producer is Axel Berman. And our theme is by the very talented Mr. Otis McDonald. And this is Lucas Bybee wishing you lots of love from our prize here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.